You know, in times um, of difficulty like this, it's often hard to remember the many, many good things uh, that God has done. Uh, it's hard to switch gears. And um, though it's obviously very appropriate for us to weep and to mourn uh, in times that are deserving of our weeping and mourning, it's also important for us to also temper that, even if awkwardly, uh, with truth from God's word. Over um, Christmas break, I think many of you guys probably do some similar things as, as we do, uh, but we watch um, a lot of old home videos. And uh, you see some of these old home videos and you see how things were. Uh, you see how you were when you were younger, how small your kids were. You wonder where the time went. You forget oftentimes kind of how things used to be. You, you remember certain things about your house or certain events, different things, and, and you just kind of go, where did the time go? This past week, I was um, texting a few of my, my ball players, wishing them a Merry Christmas, and I got into a conversation with one of them about the gospel. And, um, and this kid, he replies, he says, thanks, coach, I, I needed to be reminded of that, because he gets caught up, like we all do, with gifts and all the other things. And sometimes we forget what God has done for us. It's easy just to sort of have so many things, especially things like tragedy, to draw our minds. And again, there's an appropriate response to tragedy. Weeping and mourning is good. It's, it's, a, it's a godly thing. Jesus wept. So it's not bad to mourn at all. It's good. It's healthy. It's important. It's to be like Christ even to mourn. But we also have to learn how to, to temper or frame these things, not to brush the bad things under the rug or pretend they didn't happen, nothing like that. But here in Psalm 107, the psalmist says, he says, if his steadfast love endures, then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And he says at the very end of the psalm, which we'll get to, he says that it is wise for us to learn how to do this. It's wise for us to learn how to say so to the Lord if we know that his steadfast love has and will endure. So today, as I mentioned before, we're gonna say so. I'll go through a bit of Psalm 107, and I'd like you to be thinking, even now, as we go through the text, is, did this happen to me, what this is being described in Psalm 107? And I want you to be thinking, is there something that might encourage the church? Because church, even this morning, uh, as a church family, we need to be reminded of God's steadfast love. Hearing of each other's stories helps us even have faith even for the Pyrrho family. When we're reminded of the way that God has worked before in other contexts, other people's lives, that helps us to have faith when we pray for Matt and Al and Braley and their family. And thankfully, God's word doesn't gloss over things like hardship or pain or trials or suffering as if those things don't actually happen. We just move along smiling, praising God. No, God's word actually acknowledges these things and frames it, helps us to frame it. Even teaches us how to move forward when life seems to be moving backwards. So Psalm 107 gives us a specific context amid things like suffering. So I'm gonna read the opening just of Psalm 107, then I'm gonna pray for our time in the word, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 107, verse one says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. 
Lord, this is your word. This is your word that you have given us to be our compass, to be our true north. When the storms of life are pushing us off course, we have this as your sure and steadfast word. And so we thank you, God, that you give us your word to be the anchor for us in these stormy times. Bless our time. Holy Spirit, lead us into truth this morning. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, the way that um, God saves each one of us is uh, quite incredible, really. I mean, when you look around this room, uh, for every person in here, there is a different story of how God has saved you, uh, brought you to faith, saving knowledge of Christ. And that's just in this particular room. Verse three gives us even hints of that. He says that uh, the Lord gathers people in from all places, north, south, east, and west. It's a picture of how God brings a diverse group of people from all over the place. Gathers people from all over, different walks of life, different life experiences, but he gathers them together and redeems them. Everyone whom God has redeemed was in some kind of trouble before you knew him. Some of us know that trouble better than others. There's different things that he has said, addictions and perversions and fears, anxieties, unbridled passions, but also things like self-righteousness, wandering and living for self, being successful, but also lonely or empty, basically just self-worship. And here in Psalm 107, we're gonna see four different types of people that God has redeemed. Each little section starts with this word, some. Some of them, etc. So that's in verse four, verse 10, verse 17, and verse 23. But then the good news, the sort of but God in it is that it changes and it goes into the next section of each one of those, those verses. Then it says, then they cried to the Lord. And you see that in verse six, 13, 19, and 28. So as we go through this, think to yourself, has God done this in my life? Of these four different examples, has God done this in my life? What has God done in my life in this past year? Church, do you know what God has done for you? And if so, maybe today you ought to say so. So the first one in verse four, this is speaking of someone who's wandering aimlessly and empty in life. It says, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. The person here is described as one who is just wandering through life. They have found nowhere to settle. Some people are like people I describe maybe as, uh, they're like an airplane just looking for somewhere to land. They just kind of keep going, oh, no, that doesn't look good. No, 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 let's go try over there. There's kind of going from place to place, looking for satisfaction, looking for fulfillment. Maybe you're kind of like Goldilocks. You just want just the perfect thing. You have something, then that's not good enough. So you move on to something else. Then you get that, and that's not satisfying. You move on to something else. Or like that song by Johnny Lee, looking for love in all the wrong places. We're just kind of looking for just love and affection but we never quite find it. And so here this person just can't seem to find what he says is a city to dwell in. He has no home. Doesn't have a place that he's comfortable in, that he can call himself a citizen of. Now ultimately this speaks of Christ because Christ is the, the true Israel. Christ is our home. 
but it even calls out to the person who wanders around this life without the community of Christ. They wander. They don't have a community, a city to dwell in. Zion, the city of God, is a picture of God's people as they are one with him. But some people wander outside of the community of God. They wander in the desert of their own life with a broken compass, no service, no cell service for his GPS. He can see right in front of him, but yet he's still actually lost. You can see the road ahead, but you don't know where you're at. We're here, but we're lost. You become hungry and thirsty and restless, yet also worn out. You know what would be best to find a, a church family, a community of people, but you just wander and eventually your soul faints. You can go disconnected from God and his people for a while, but eventually it catches up to you. But look what happens in verse six. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So they cry to the Lord and he answers. He brings them into the city, to the people of God. Some of you are disconnected still. You come from time to time and you know that you should be connected, but you're still wandering. Some of you were disconnected and now you think to yourself, why didn't we do this earlier? And so I would encourage you who are maybe a little disconnected. And I don't mean just physically because you can still go to church and go to community group but still have a wall up and be disconnected. I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Find that city to dwell in. In verse 10, says, some people sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts. God bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help. This person became a prisoner of their own sin. They willfully rebelled against God's word and went against God's wisdom. They pursued sin on purpose. So God in turn brought about consequences that were difficult for them. They even might find themselves in isolation, isolated from people, again, out of shame, out of guilt, out of condemnation, putting a wall up. But look what happens, verse 13. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And guess what he did, church? He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. He broke their shackles. So let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he, God, shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. These people called to the Lord and he delivered them. He's faithful to forgive, brought them out of their darkness and broke their chains. Verse 17, some other people, they were fools through their own sinful ways and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Now this person is kind of similar to the previous. They had their sin take them further than they set out. And this person suffered actual physical or mental affliction. They couldn't even eat. They were so nauseous because of sin. Maybe because of a sickness or disease that was brought about by their own sin. They drew near even to death because of their sin. 
But look in verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. They also cried out to the Lord, and he delivered them. He might not heal them physically, at least in this life, but he becomes their healing, and they sing for joy. With just a word, their souls are healed and saved from destruction. And in verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. This person here was just going about life, doing business, working his own business, raising his family, went out in the sea, on the sea in ships, doing business among the great waters. He's some kind of a seafarer, maybe a merchant, maybe a fisherman. And the Lord brought a great storm and it devastated their life. Everything was gone. It was out of their control. And not necessarily because of sin, because you see in verse 27, though it's possible they were going about life in their own strength, it's not necessarily so that they were in sin. They were just doing their business. Maybe just ignoring the Lord, doing it in their own strength, but nothing overtly sinful. Just going about life as usual. But they came to their wit's end, it says. Their wit's end. Which means that in their own wisdom, in their own strength, they got to the end. It sounds like they were living life in their own strength. Doing things as they thought was wise as they thought was right, what was right in their own eyes. And they came to their wit's end. They were done. But look what happens in verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So they also called to the Lord and he answered. He stilled the storm on their life and he gets them through it. And now a final word from the psalmist here in verse 33. Kind of encapsulates all four of these and gives us this little ending. It says, he, God, turns rivers into a desert springs of water into thirsty ground. He can bring good things to an end. A fruitful land, he can turn into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Sometimes the Lord brings calamity into our life as a means of discipline to bring about an awakening and repentance. That's not always why hardship comes, but that is sometimes why it comes. He turns a desert also, though, into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. So he can do the exact opposite even. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. And when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on the princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. So when other people oppress them, the Lord punishes them. 
The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. If you want to be wise, you want to grow in wisdom, pay attention and do these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If you are wise, you want to grow in wisdom, consider the steadfast love of the Lord. There are many different scenarios in our lives, but there's only one solution. Call upon the Lord. Call out to the Lord. He will answer. Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 91, verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, says the Lord. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus says to the people, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe All that the Father gives me will come to me. Everyone he gives me, they're gonna come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. No one who has given me, I'm not gonna lose any of them. That is God's will. You come to me, I receive you. I will not turn you away. You're mine, I am yours. I will be your God and you'll be my people. That is my task, that's my mission. That is my Father's will and I'm not gonna fail that mission. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the good news, church. These are the promises of God that we have. Now let's look again at how each section here ends. There's a command in there. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Verse eight, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for a steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. The same thing in verse 21, the same thing in verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for a steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 